Welcome to the Dr. Wayne Dyer Radio Podcast. Discover the wisdom and remarkable insights of Dr. Dyer, world-renowned spiritual teacher and foremost authority on how the power of your mind creates your world. Well, we do have a special guest joining the show we're very excited about, and we do have him with us right now, so this is great. Uh, an old friend of yours, you've done many programs and things before in the past, mm. uh, Deepak Chopra is joining us, and uh, Deepak has a new book out called The Future of God, and he's going to be talking about that and, and many other things, I'm sure. And, and Deepak, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, and great to hear Wayne's voice. How are you doing, my friend? How's my brother, Deepak? I love you, my brother. I'm in Boston, <laughs> actually. In... I just gave a talk with Dr. Rudy Chanzi at uh, a course at Harvard Medical School. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm in his office right now speaking to you. He loves your programs. He said he loves to watch you on PBS. Oh, that's so wonderful. So the future of God. Um, I remember years ago being in your home and talking one night about uh, a book that you had written about how to know God, uh, based on uh, the right. teachings of Patanjali from uh, you know many thousands of years ago, and now you're talking about the Correct. future of God. Yeah, what is the future of God? I hear an awful lot of talk these days about uh, you know a lot of atheists out there, a lot of people believing. You know, there are people on national television. Bill Maher is one, for example, right. who is, uh, and and yeah, brings yeah. on brings right. on people who uh, who just think Bill that Bill Maher, uh, you know, Bill Maher, Richard. Bill Maher, Richard Dawkins, right. Sam Harris, these guys are what we call naive realists. You know, mm. if anyone wants to know what that means, they should just, uh, uh, if they can even go on Wikipedia or Google it. A naive realist believes that uh, what you see is what is real. So, you know, if you see something and it's part of your perception, it's real. But we know that that's not true. We know that matter comes from energy, and we also know wherever there's energy, there's information, and we also know that something is organizing that information as the universe. So the new view is that matter, energy, information, and consciousness are actually inseparable. So that's one part of naive realism, which has kind of overthrown the superstition of matter is real. The second part of naive realism is naive ideas about God, because people think, oh, you know, God is some old guy sitting up there in the heavens, and we can't see him as usually it's of him. We don't actually uh, believe in God. So militant atheists and all these new atheists, like uh, Bill Maher, (coughs) are really naive realists. They have no understanding of the latest developments in science, but they also have a very poor understanding of theology or philosophy or uh, anything that is metaphysical. And so this book is actually a response to these people and says that, you know, if you look at all the religious traditions, even though they were couched in the tradition of their time, you know, so the Bible was written, you know, close to the Bronze Age. We now right. know that, you know, the universe has infinite dimensions. We know about the Big Bang. We know about black holes. But the questions there, uh, uh, Wayne, are still the same. I mean, do we have a source? Is that source an intelligent consciousness? 
Can we t- get in touch with it? Does it make a difference in our lives? So if you look at actually not the religious dogma, but the religious experience, you find three things. One is uh, transcendence, so what we call peak experiences, uh, going beyond ordinary reality or unity experience. The second is what is called the emergence of platonic truth, goodness, beauty, harmony, uh, love, compassion, joy, equanimity, but also, you know, insight, intuition, creativity, all the things that we associate with our inner being. And the Mm -hmm. final third component of all religious experiences, the loss of the fear of death, because the transcendent part of you is not in time. So that's Mm. the basis of this book. Uh, uh, You and I have talked about this a long time, but I bring in all the contemporary science into this. There's a there's a key key word. I've been reading uh, Vasista's Yoga. I've been talking about it a little bit. It's, it's a book that came into my life yes. in a strange way, and it's it's an ancient text. It's very very long. I'm almost finished with it. I've I've actually been reading a, a, a ten pages a day for about uh, sixty seventy days yes. now. Uh, and they use that this word in, in, in yes, it's incredible teaching, and it's great just great stories after story after story of, of uh, how we can what we can create with our mind. But they use the concept of infinity, and one of the things they say there, you know, if you understand the concept of infinity, then the concept of a creator is uh, is an impossibility. How, how do you react to that? I mean, it's like if infinity means always, uh, a creator would have had to start something, and there can be no beginning. Something they use the word beginningless and endless as uh, as if right. this is this is how, this is who we are that whatever it is that you know that the body these yes. arms that we have and legs and our skin and and, and everything is these are just inert right. substances you can cut it up into a million pieces but the inside you can't uh, you can't destroy speak to me about that Deepak right. it's just, so, uh, let me tell you a little bit about Vashishta also because he is one considered one of the great seven stages, and you know what we call the Big Dipper in the sky, the seven stars, you know? Sure. They are named after each of these stages, so the Great Dipper, one of the stars, is named after Vashishta. So the story, the the story, yeah, and the story Hmm. in in Indian Vedanta and mythology is that Ram, who's the incarnation of God, you know, Ram is like the equivalent of Jesus in the Indian tradition, Mm -hmm. and he's born a prince, and his father sends him to the great Rishi, the great seer, the great Guru Vashishta, Mm -hmm. uh, to to learn about life. And so Ram is a young prince, he's only about 12 years old, but he is the incarnation of God. So when he meets Vashishta, he touches his feet, as is the Indian custom, you pay homage to the Guru. And mm-hmm. Vashishta kind of withdraws. He says, don't do that to me. You're God. And Ram responds by saying, uh, I may be God, but I've forgotten. So I came to a great teacher to remind me of my divine status. And that's mm-hmm. the beginning of the Yoga Vashishta. That's where the story comes from. Right. So, uh, the Yoga Vashishta is basically reminding all of us that uh, we are the divine in a human form. That um, I kind of casually, sometimes jokingly say, we're all God in drag. So mm-hmm. if you remove all the 
conditioning of our mind. You know, I'm Deepak Chopra has the baggage uh, history. I'm Deepak is a child that has less history. But if I take away I am Deepak Chopra, then I am is the big I am. And mm. that is basically the pure or cosmic mind. And that's what he's saying. And why he says the concept of eternity or infinity actually prevents you is that infinity cannot be a concept. You cannot imagine infinity. As soon as you have a concept, then it's not infinity anymore. So the transcendent, that which which never began and that which never ends, is what science today, uh, Wayne, is calling non-local. So, you know, you, you frequently use the expression, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. Right. Um, if I were to rephrase that in the scientific term, I would say we are non-local beings having a local experience. The local experience is in time. And when it's in time, the local experience, of course, has a beginning and an ending. But right. the non-local experience is outside of time. And I don't know if you saw, if you saw Interstellar, Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Okay, they already have introduced the idea in that movie of the fifth dimension. So, you mm-hmm. know, imagine that you're in another dimension where you see this dimension as having space-time events which have beginning, middle, and ending. But from that dimension, you can see it's just one of the programs. You know, like it's it's a uh, this dimension is a this lifetime of ours is a is a particular program in an eternal transcendent domain which belongs to another dimension in time. Hmm. I've often I've said in a lot of my work I, I've used the term um, you know saying uh, I am God you know that God is something if there's no place that God is not then God must be within me. Is, is, that, is, is, is that a recognition that I think of that we're going to have in the future? Yeah, of, yes, it's absolutely. So the future of God is our own evolution from separation to unity, from, uh, <coughs> from uh, the divided mind into the whole mm-hmm. mind, from thought, which is in time, to awareness, which is not in time. You know, our awareness is not in time. So that's why thought is a veil, you know, that separates us from God. And it doesn't matter if it's religious thought or theological thought or philosophical thought or even scientific thought, because thought covers up the veil. It's like a veil that separates us from God. That's why the Hebrew Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Mm. Or, you know, in other traditions, in the Indian tradition, they say, be still and know that I am the great I am, you know? Mm. So you're absolutely right. Uh, there's only one source of the universe. So our own inner awareness is our link to that source. The um, Very often in the, in the Vasistha Yoga, they, they speak about a dream, you know, that, uh, you know, using an analogy of uh, we go to sleep at night, 
And, um, you know, our bodies, we don't need our bodies. So everything that we experience is, um, is, is in our minds. And then we have a city there in our, in our minds and, and, and perhaps a mountain and, and friends and so on. And you go to sleep, uh, and you're in this dream state, uh, for, uh, for say seven or eight hours, whatever it is. Then you awaken and you don't go around looking for the city that you were in and you don't look around for the mountain that was in your dream and you don't look around for the car that you were driving in your dream. Um, and, and they make the analogy that uh, that that what this is what we're in now is exactly the same as that and when we awaken from this dream it's only it's instead of it being an eight hour dream it's a hundred year dream or so and that everything that we are um, uh, creating is just a, a notion they use the word notion a lot it's just in, in our imagination yes. we're just creating it all and so not being attached to all of that um, is, is, is do you deal with that in the in the in the, in the future of God this whole co- concept I, of, I, I do I, I. I do. So this is how to understand it. Reality is different in different states of consciousness. So mm-hmm. in deep sleep, also there is some awareness, because if I come and make a loud noise or pinch you, you'll wake up from the dream and you say, I was asleep. But you were asleep, you were not having any experience, but you were still aware. So that's mm-hmm. the first stage. The second stage is the dream state that you spoke of. I'm in the mountains, I'm flying a jet plane, I'm, uh, you know, going to different places, I meet And it's all people. real. It's all real. I mean, for and you... it's you, all you exp- real. And yeah. I'm a character in the dream too, right? Right. I'm a right. character in the dream. Then when I wake up, I say, oh, it was just a dream. And all those characters, the mountains, and me, they were all me, actually. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you you say, oh, it was all a projection of my consciousness. But now you're in the waking state, and you're in Hawaii, and I'm in Boston, and we are speaking to each other, and there are thousands of people listening to us, and we say, this is the real reality. Why mm. do we say this is the real reality? Because we're in it, just like we were in the dream. So mm. if we wake up from this, then we say, oh, that was a very interesting living dream. We can even call it a whole lifetime. But when we wake up from this, that's called soul consciousness. And then when we see that the other people are having the same dream as us, and we can communicate in our dreams with each other, that's called cosmic consciousness. And then when actually this becomes commonplace, that's called divine consciousness. And finally, there's something called enlightenment or unity consciousness where we realize that actually the whole universe mm-hmm. is our dream that we are creating from a deep level of awareness, which is the common ground of all our awarenesses. You know, like the, the common ground of all the light bulbs in my room and the radio and the television and everything else, the electricity, the common ground of our consciousness is a universal consciousness. Rumi, as usual, he says you're not just a drop in the ocean, you're the mighty ocean in the drop as well. Exactly, exactly. Are we, as, as a people, I mean, it's like when you talk about the future of God, I mean, the future of God is really the future of, of people, isn't it? I mean, if, are we moving towards that yes. higher divine consciousness? And if we don't, I mean, there's so much of the stuff that we, that we look at in, in the news and so on. I find myself just moving more and more away from, uh, from news or anything that just brings me down or is, is, is negative at all. But uh, yeah, as when, a people. When you look at the news and when you look at the news, 
and you look at what's happening in the world with war, terrorism, and, mm-hmm. you know, climate change and poverty, it's not even a dream. It's a nightmare. And mm. it's an insane nightmare. And the first thing is to wake up yourself, you know, to say, mm-hmm. listen, I'm living in this lunatic asylum and I no longer belong here. I'm picking up my visitor's badge because I'm stuck mm-hmm. right now here in this asylum, but I know that it's an asylum. That's the first step. And then mm-hmm. once you do that, then you hang out with other people who are doing the same. So, you know, you and I hang out, whether it's on the phone or in conversation right. in real time. And that the more of that we start to have, the more awakening we start to have, then the projection will change as well. Because the world as it is right now is the projection of the conditioned separate mind. It's not the projection of love, compassion, joy, equanimity, which are the, which would be, you know, completely different projections from a mm. completely different level of collective consciousness. And as individuals, Deepak, as individual people listening right now, um, are they able to say that, that my evolution is really moving more towards that, that the divine consciousness that you spoke about, the d- divine kind of dream? If they're, if, Wayne, if they're listening to this program, definitely, because otherwise they wouldn't be listening to it. Right? Mm-hmm. They tune into this program because something is driving them to listen to this conversation. So they have already expressed need to awaken. So here's what I would suggest to all of them right now, you know, to practice the following every day. Sit for five minutes quietly with your eyes closed, put your attention in your heart, and just ask the question, (coughs) who am I? And then just don't look for the answer, but let any sensation, image, feeling, or thought to come to you. Then ask yourself the question, who's asking the question, who am I? And then you let, this is what Ramna Maharishi taught for 30 years. You know, just right. sit. You sit and ask yourself, who am I? And then you say, who's asking the question, who am I? Okay. Then I want everybody to listen to what he said. This is really important, what he's saying. Now, who am I and who's asking the question? And then what? And then just wait and see what happens. And you'll start to experience sensations, images, feelings, and thoughts. That will come to you, and not only that, you'll start to experience synchronicity, and you'll suddenly have these aha experiences that who am I has no form, has no label, is not in space and time, but without that, there would be no form, there would be no space-time, and there would be no visible reality. This invisible, formless being, who I am, is creating my life, creating my body, is creating my personal relationships, social interactions. And the deeper I go into this part of me, the more things will change. And then, you know, you can add to that few things. What do I really want from my life at this stage in my life? You know, we've been there, done that as far as, you know, goals are concerned. What do I want now? Okay. And just ask that. And what, what, what is my purpose in life now? Just ask that. Or even, mm. what am I grateful for? You know, if you ask that, and you live those questions, then as Ramana Maharshi said, life will move you into the answers. Life will move you 
into the divine. You don't have to look for the answers. You have to ask and receive. Hmm. And, uh, you know, as yesterday I was watching the uh, Sunday Sunday morning shows, you know, a couple of the shows, and uh, um, yes. I, I flipped through uh, Fox News, and, of course, they, you know, and you've been on there. I know I've heard them trash you on yes. there a few times, uh, and yes. me as well. Uh, but they were, Hillary Clinton just happened to say something about uh, that it's important for us as a, you know, as a people to have some kind of empathy for the ideas of our enemies. Um, isn't this a part of what uh, what higher consciousness is really about? Is just an it awareness. Is, and is, I wanted to ask the. I wanted absolutely. to say to them. Pardon. No, it's absolutely empathy. Just means you step into the other person's shoes and you look at the world from their eyes, and you see that you know there is there is a story that's driving every person's perception of the world. If you mm. have empathy, that leads to compassion. And if you have compassion, that gives birth to love. And when you have that, then your enemy, you see, is your own self in a different uniform. You know, that you are both co-creating this situation. As you know, Max Planck once said, when you change the way you look at something, what you look at changes. Right. Right, but 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 she's taking an awful lot of grief on that, saying that oh, then uh, you know, then you're saying that we should take these people like ISIS who are who are beheading uh, Americans and so on, and have some understanding of what their position is, um, and so that you know, anytime anyone takes that kind of a stance. Uh, immediately we have to go back to we're going to have to fight each other. I mean, I did a book, you know, years ago on the, on the Tao Te Ching, written 2,500 years ago by Lao Tzu. And right. he, he he left the warring states in China because of this whole concept of that, you know, that we ought not to have enemies. We ought to be trying to work. You know, it seems to me that the future of God is 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 the ending of the concept of enemies uh, and, and, and yes, what you just said, more compassion. Um, the, the Dalai Lama said that yeah, if we took know, every... Let me just give you that one quote. He said if we took every child in, a, in the world at the age of five and had them meditate for one hour a week on compassion, that we could end all violence on our planet in one generation. It's totally true. It's totally true. This is, by the way, some science for you. The science, yes, uh, from, you know, this is part of what I do with Gallup organization, which gather statistics. Uh, on well-being. So here's some mm -hmm. very interesting data. If you have a happy friend, then your happiness score goes, goes up by 15%, and that's, uh, there's a way to document that. But if your happy friend has a happy friend that you don't know, it goes up another 10%. And if your happy friend, happy friend, happy friend has a happy friend, and you don't know these people at all, you your happiness goes up. So the happiness of people that you don't know influences your happiness. So you say, well, how is that possible? So there hmm. are two explanations for that. One is that when you and I are speaking, my interaction with you is, of course, dependent on all the people in my life that I love, that are important to me, my family, my friends. Mm -hmm. Your interaction with me is also influenced by all the people and if they are happy, you'll be happy uh, because you interact with them. But then they interact with others, they interact with others. And finally, you get to the point where actually the happiness of your enemies makes you happier. 
the fulfillment of your enemies makes you more fulfilled. The well-being of your enemies or so-called enemies improves your well-being. In fact, we have presented this information to the government, to the State Department, that the best way to get rid of your enemies is to increase their capacity for happiness and well-being. So, you know, what Hillary said or anyone said, what the question to ask is, do we want to perpetuate the violence, the cycle of violence forever? But now that we have modern capacities that couldn't be for long, we'll all be extinct. Or do you want to find creative solutions? And we now have science that says, first of all, everybody is affected by everybody else. But even more deeper, you go to the non-local level, we are all inseparably one. We are one intelligence in different expressions. Hmm. It's interesting, Deepak. I, I think about this because I was a, uh, as you know, a competitive tennis player for many years. I know you took up golf as, 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 as in fact, wrote a book about it years ago. Um, but I think what you're applying, what you're saying there also applies just even in competitive sports. I can remember, um, uh, you know, you get into a, a like a, in a tennis match and you get into what the, what players call a zone. You know, where everything just seems to be going right. for you. Or in basketball, you go out there and right. you shoot the ball. No matter what, you know, you shoot, no matter what, you throw it up in the air and they go down, they go down and then, and, and you're in this zone. Yeah. And, and then you get to a place where you realize that your, your opponent is in one of these zones as well. Uh, and you're not in the zone. Right. So you're playing along and all of a sudden every, the wind just blows the ball and hits the line for them and does everything seems to be going right for them. I, I learned a long time ago that I was a much more effective tennis player and did well when I was happy for how my opponent was playing well rather than cursing and getting Absolutely. mad. And, and you know, so I think it applies, to, you know, a, across the board. I think it might also apply even in our relationships. You know, if you're having an argument Absolutely. with someone, you know, that you're that you're married to or, or with your children or whatever. And, and you can take right. happiness even if you're disagreeing with them. You know, um, right. you you can you can reach for some kind of a thought that allows you to be happy for them. Does, I mean, it applies all Absolutely. over the place, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, you wish them the best, and you wish them happiness and fulfillment and joy and peace, and that'll affect you. Now, you know, we're doing some research, by the way, at our center right now. Uh-huh. Uh huh. At the Chopra Center. Uh, when? Yeah, the yeah, Chopra at- Center. So, what the, what the new scientific discoveries are? that 90% of the DNA in your body is actually bacterial DNA. It's microbes, bacteria. It's called the microbiome. And Mm -hmm. then the 10% of the DNA in your body that is human is actually also derived from uh, bacteria. So you are basically, you know, the mitochondria and the human cells are all bacteria. So it seems we may have to revise evolution. You know, evolution has been thought to be survival of the fittest with competition, but it's not. It's actually a cooperative enterprise. The bacteria came together, and they formed colonies, and then they evolved into humans uh, through animals. So, you know, again, Rumi, he says, God sleeps in uh, minerals. God uh, dreams in plants. God uh, wakes up in animals, and then God wants to become self-aware in humans, so but God is everywhere. In so, so he, of awakening. 
And the answer to a Bill Maher who says there's no scientific proof of it, um, you know, I interviewed Larry Dossi on this show of, of, about a month ago, so he wrote a mm -hmm. book called One Mind. Um, I think you endorsed yeah. it. Yeah. Um, of course, and I, I read it, it too. It was beautiful. Yeah. I did too, and he said that he said there's actually more scientific evidence on the side of there being one mind and the presence of a uh, of an of an intelligence in the universe than there is, uh, you know, against such a such an idea or such a supposition. What is yeah, the so we, what is, Bill, Bill Maher? Bill Maher, I would have two attitudes uh, for Bill Maher. One would be get an education bill, and the mm -hmm. second would be uh, we have love and compassion for you anyway. Yeah. Here's the here's the meta, here's the conversation I've had with him uh, in my mind whenever I've heard him go, just go off and off and off on on and is that is like do you believe in the wind you know and uh, and it's like because you know no one has ever seen the wind you can't you can't get a hold of the wind you can't touch the wind you can't see it it has no form um, the only way that you know that there is wind is you see it's something invisible that is causing something else to happen. Is And I, I would say to him, is uh, if you just stop calling it wind and call it God, w would that work for you? In other words, an invisible intelligence yeah. that, opens the that it opens the flowers and that uh, allows the clouds yeah, to form and, and beats your heart. That's, uh, that's a very apt metaphor, uh, but you could also ask, do you believe in space? You don't Experience, right. you know, space is not an object. Do you believe in time? Nobody's seen time. Do you believe in love? Do you believe in joy? Do you believe in creativity? Do you believe in intuition? Do you believe in any of that? None of it is part of our visible domain. That's why mm. the ancients, uh, at least in the Eastern wisdom traditions, they said there's a physical world, but there's a subtle world, and there's a causal world. So, you know, Thierry de Chardin called it the biosphere, the noosphere, and the theosphere. These guys, like Bill Maher, etc., are really very ignorant of not only the great thinkers of history, you know, from mm. Plato onwards. Plato talked about idealist, ideal forms or potential forms that gave rise to physical forms. So people like Bill are not only ignorant of the great thinkers of all time, but they're also ignorant of science, you know. Mm. Matter is energy, energy and information and consciousness are inseparable. What organ, you know, what the, the universe is the constant recycling of matter and energy organized by the mind. But it's not only a constant recycling into forms and phenomena of matter and energy, but even as it's recycled, it evolves. So, you know, it evolves from bacteria to plants to animals to human beings. And if we are to go with the great mystical teachings of people like Rumi, he said, you know, when I die, I will soar with angels. When I die to the angels, what I shall become, you cannot imagine. Mm. Let me ask you this. I know you've got to run, Deepak, and I, and I appreciate your, your amount of time. No, I, just, I, I just love it. I can't that you spoke. Oh, I can't wait to get a hold of this book. I've just, I just ordered it on Amazon this morning. I mean, it must have just come out. Oh, the future thanks. of, is I the future? Yeah, I got one for it. Don't worry. Yeah. I, I know you need the money. Don't worry. I'm, I'm buying one for you. Uh, <laughs> listen, let yeah. me ask you this final question. Is the future of God the future of religion? Uh, and, and are the two inextricably tied? It seems to me a lot of people are, 
pulling away from uh, religion, a lot of the anger on our planet is that so many of these this horrible things that are taking place on our planet are are taking place in the name of religion and is God associated with yeah, that? And do, I, you uh, with that? do you deal with that? Do you deal with that? Yeah, I deal with that. I think we should not confuse the religious experience with the religious institutions or ideologies. So, you know, if, if you believe in somebody's experience, you say, you know, uh, Jesus had the experience, or Buddha had the experience, instead of worshipping those great teachers, why don't you say to yourself, how can I have that experience myself? You know, mm -hmm. if I'm pointing to the moon, you want to look at the moon, not worship my finger. And this is what happens with religious institutions. So I think we need to understand that the spiritual or religious experience is available to all of us, and that will be the evolution of the future of God, which, unless religious institutions themselves transform and say, you know, we are about experience, not about rules, regulations, ideologies, interpretations, and divisiveness. If religious institutions do that, then there is a future for them. But if they don't, they'll be obsolete. And and you think you think that what 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 is your prediction on that? I mean, it's like there, there's just so many religious wars going on uh, in our world. Yeah, no, today. I don't I don't think particularly that uh, religion has much of a future in the way mm. we think of religious institutions, even mm. though you know. You have to say that religious institutions also did a lot of good. I mean, I got my education in an Irish Christian Brothers uh, missionary school, and so I'm able to speak English and have this mm -hmm. conversation with you and right. Shakespeare. So there mm -hmm. was lots of good stuff that happened, with lots of bad stuff also happened. Yeah. Yeah, the the Muslim faith seems to be taking the biggest hit right now, and it's like and it's like that those people on the, you know, on the far right of almost any religion, and of course they are in the Christian religion and and the and the and all of them as well. Um, but it seems yeah, to me but that no Muslim matter the Muslim religion should, I think people who who are attached to the Muslim um, interpretations of the divine, they should go a little deeper. After all, you know, see. Rumi was a Muslim, and he was uh, right. a Sufi. So Sufi is that aspect of Islam that is based on experience. And that is the most important thing. Just like, you know, there are Christian traditions with the Benedictine monks and so on that are based on experience. I think we have to start saying, how can we experience the divine rather than depend on a book of religion? Hmm. Is uh, another word for God uh, love? Is is that would would you say that's uh, a, a, a good uh, yeah? Substitution? You know what? Uh, yeah, love is the ultimate truth at the heart of creation. And that's what uh, uh, Tagore said. Love is not a mere sentiment. Love is not a mere emotion. Of course, it has those expressions, but love is the ultimate truth at the heart of the universe, which means mm. we all come from the one mind. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Deepak. I love you so much, my brother, and uh, the Thanks. future of it God. Was so uh, good to hear you. So good to hear your voice, uh, Wayne. And now yes. it makes me want to be with you soon. May, same here. We, we've been on stages all okay. over the world together, so it's great, great to hear from you. Let's love you so much. Give my love, love to your you. family you. and, and to much. everyone. I Take will. care. You do likewise. Thank you. Bye -bye. Thanks, Deepak. Namaste. 
To find out more about Dr. Wayne Dyer or any other Hay House author, please visit hayhouse.com. Thank you for listening.